Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. On this edition of the Yahoo Sports College podcast, it's overreaction Monday. Who had the worst loss in the Big Ten? James Franklin's fourth quarter. And we debate the age-old question, is life worse as a Gator or a Seminole? This is Dan Wetzel. I'm joined by Pat Forty and Pete Thamel. Let's start with a simple yet complicated question. What's up, Florida? Yes, the whole state, or almost all of it. University of Florida lost to Kentucky for the first time in 31 years. A night also famous because it coincided coincidentally 31 years ago with Pat Forty celebrating his 40th birthday. Great time. <laughs> the Gators are a mess in Dan Mullen's first year. An insult came to injury, and this is my favorite part, when running back Adarius Lemons, a former four-star recruit from Clearwater, announced via Twitter he was transferring Seemingly from the post-game locker room, his quote, I want to, <laughs> it, was th- it, was, it was 41 minutes after the game, he announced it. Nobody ever doubts that the Gators have speed. I mean, they're always fast. His quote, I want to find a school I can help to the best, to my best ability and actually use my talent that God has blessed me with. Oh, throw the salt on there. Uh, Not so good. Meanwhile, Florida State needed to rally to beat Sanford. Not Stanford, Sanford. And Miami got mauled last week. Now, fairness, South Florida defeated Georgia uh, Tech. Good win. Central Florida has won 15 straight, including the national title. And Froggy Saloon in Daytona Beach is always undefeated. So the I-4 corridor is doing well. Pat, let's start with you. What the heck is up with Florida? It's a disaster area, Dan. It's absolutely a mess. Uh, and the thing is, it's one of those years where everybody came in with all this optimism because Florida State had a new coach, and everybody's excited when you have a new coach. Florida's excited because they have a new coach. And Miami starts the season in the top ten. So everybody thinks it's going to be great. Things are going to be better. That's all they've been hearing since – Winter conditioning and spring ball, how much better they are at this, how much better they are at that. And then the product on the field is actually worse. As you mentioned, first time since 1986, Florida has lost to Kentucky as the absolute lock of the year every year that Florida would beat Kentucky. And now they lose at home in a game they were really outplayed the whole way. 
Uh, Florida State, the game was, quite frankly, was worse than that because they should have lost to, as you said, Samford, not Stanford, not Fred Sanford, Samford University <laughs> in Birmingham, uh, a, a team that hasn't won an FCS playoff game since 1991. So it's not like, you know, that it's North Dakota State, one of those sneaky good FCS programs. It's Samford. And if Samford hadn't turned the ball over five times, minus four turnover ratio, they would have won easily. Uh, it's pathetic, pathetic start for Willie Taggart. And then uh, Miami, as we know, got housed uh, in its opener against LSU. So I look around and see a, a, I see a lot of actually institutional malpractice. Those teams should never be that bad. And for them to be that bad, somebody's not doing their jobs or a lot of people are not doing their jobs. I appreciate how the state of Florida melted down on Saturday night. Uh, I want people to see it from my perspective. So I'm in the press box at Texas A&M. Uh, they, they're obviously in a great game with Clemson. And, but yet, I'm, you know, I'm trying to follow all the other games as, as we try to do in the balancing act. And so I, luckily enough, was, was able to follow Pat Forty's Twitter feed, which was just mm. a just gem of vitriol towards mm. not only Florida State, not only the referees in the game, but also his signal, which went out multiple times during the game. It did. Yeah. Yet you could feel the visceral agitation yeah. tweet by tweet by by bitter tweet. And it was just I never want to see a highlight from that game. If I ever am going to reference it, I'm going to find Pat's like 36 <laughs> tweets from a two hour span. Hey. It was a hard game to find on TV, and I had it. And so I was going to be America's eyes and ears on this, on one of the biggest meltdowns in history. And then my signal went out. I was outraged. You pirated Tallahassee like community television or something. I don't know how you even got this game on TV. <laughs> I can tell you how. It was really one of the finer like flurries I've ever seen on Twitter. <laughs> that was some real good anger. That was good. I knew Pat was going to be fired up for today's show. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. Uh, Pete, should we be concerned about Dan Mullen or Willie Taggart? Or is it, look, man, they both inherited uh, uh, rocking ships here. And this is what you got. And it's the first year. Give them a break. I would say there should be exponentially more concern in Tallahassee, which has just been a bastion of general dysfunction tons of penalties like there's there's glaring macro signs there that there should be concerns the you know more red flags than a nebraska tailgate or whatever the uh, the old saying is i really feel like that is like a five alarm fire right now florida should never lose to kentucky they hadn't in essentially our lifetimes uh i don't think dan mullen forgot how to coach He's a builder. He's going to build. They don't have a quarterback right now. And Felipe Franks is still developing. And and Mullen Mullen will get a pass in the quarterback position because he's a he's been a prolific developer of quarterbacks. But I think it's going to take a year or two at, at Florida just with all the transition they've had at their head coaching position. They're obviously going to miss that running back with four point one transfer speed after the game. <laughs> I uh, I would just generally think things are way worse in Tallahassee right now. All right. So worse to be a Seminole right now than a Gator, according to Pete Thamel. A hey, quick bit about Kentucky. Now, Mark Stoops has recruited really well last few years, and it's finally paying off, apparently. Some of these guys are actually pretty good. Um, he's been especially productive in the state of Ohio, grabbing a lot of good players. The SEC is weak. 
the Cats have a chance to have a pretty good season. And their fans are certainly ready for this. Uh, the party after beating Florida for the first time in 31 years, the videos from Lexington and all over the great Commonwealth of Kentucky were just crazy. You would have thought they actually had won a national title, which obviously they're not going to do. Um, here is one police item. Uh, this was my personal favorite of many police items that came out of the celebration Saturday night. Uh, I quote, a report that a group of people have thrown a mannequin into a puddle and are dancing in a puddle in their underwear. <laughs> now, Pat, <laughs> since you live in Kentucky, I have to ask, what did you do with the mannequin? <laughs> Why do I always have to be the person to go to with all the Kentucky questions? When we had the, the dude that stole the cheese grater, I had to answer for that, too. This is your tax money at work. How, yeah. I mean, how jacked up was this for Kentucky fans? They never have anything to cheer for. No, absolutely. No, they, 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 they're giddy. Um, despite the fact that this is now the seventh straight Power 5 opponent that Florida's lost to. Uh, but no, they, they're very excited just because of the absolute torture that Florida's inflicted on them. There was a lot of, I remember covering a 65, nothing game in the Spurrier days, a 73 to seven game, but then there were also probably four or five games that Kentucky absolutely either won, had one, should have won and let get away at the last minute, uh, that you couldn't believe. So to exercise that demon, uh, is big and Kentucky fans, uh, can be, Pretty excited about the state of things until March Madness starts. I'm sorry, Midnight Madness starts college basketball, and they'll forget they even have a football team. I bet Pat's column off that uh, 63 to nothing game really gave some searing insight into the Kentucky football program. <laughs> I'm sure he was angry that day. I, I will say this about Kentucky football fans and my very limited exposure to them, uh, other than the one that I told the story on the podcast the other day where they said, Pat, are the Cats going to win? Um, is that I was impressed the LSU game I went to there, uh, I guess it would have been 2007. Um, I just thought like they showed up, you know, like the, the passion was there. They, Kentucky has not been generationally awful in football because no one there cares. They really do want to win. It's just, they've been bad anyway. So I was, I mean, they had their bourbon bottles out. It was the middle of the morning. They were like, they were ready to go drink all day and scream at the top of their lungs. And it was actually a moderately good atmosphere there. So good for well, those hearty that, souls. There are fewer of those hearty souls though, Pete. That's one thing that, they, that the, the famous Kentucky hard boot fans that always showed up in good times and bad, haven't been showing up lately. I mean, they did 49,000 uh, for their home opener, which might be their lowest opener ever. Uh, you know, the, they, this, the tendency has definitely dropped off there and uh, several other places. Uh, they have a history of being really good fans, given the little return. Uh, we'll see if they show up for the home games uh, hereafter. Their spirit was broken by Joker Phillips. <laughs> All right, because we like to focus on the negative here, because we hate everybody, let's talk about the Big Ten Blues. Michigan State lost to Arizona State. That one stung. Nebraska lost to Colorado. Ouch. Northwestern lost to Duke in the Smart Kid Bowl. And Purdue lost to Eastern Michigan. Holy. They tried to eliminate Eastern Michigan, didn't they? Now they're, <laughs> apparently, apparently they did not succeed. 
Eastern, this is how bad Eastern Michigan is. Eastern Michigan tried to get rid of Eastern Michigan. <laughs> I guess that's resilience. Anyway. It is. Give them some credit. Give them some credit. The Eastern Michigan defeated Eastern Michigan and continued to be Eastern Michigan, and then they beat Purdue. Who had the worst loss? I'm going to start with you, Pete. Who had the worst loss of those four because they're all bad? It had to be Purdue, and I had the pleasure while driving from Houston to College Station to listen to the despondent Purdue radio broadcast as they articulated <laughs> the final moments of that game. And if you ever want to hear true misery, it would be the Purdue radio broadcasters <laughs> describing a second personal foul or uh, unnecessary celebration play or whatever it was basically a knucklehead 15 yard penalty that essentially cost them the game for the second game in a row. And the color guy, of course, because every color guy in the big 10 or any other league has to think the call against the team is horrible. is going on and on about it. And like the play by play guys, like gently trying to talk him into like that. It's in the realm of like reasonable, but as, as, as Eastern Michigan kept chunking down the field to uh, kick their game winning field goal, they were just clinging to the hope of Eastern Michigan's <laughs> kicker. He's a true freshman walk-on. He's a true freshman walk-on. He's a true freshman walk-on. And then it was like, and the field goes good. Purdue loses. Eastern Michigan has never had anything but a true freshman walk-on kicker. Because even if, because then you quit. Because you're like, this isn't worth it. What am I getting out of this? Right? I'm not getting paid. I got to drive on a bus like all over to Ohio and stuff. Like, forget it. I quit. I'll just get a new one. Um, that penalty was gar- was kind of garbage, except it really was unnecessary celebration because if you score a touchdown against Eastern Michigan, you shouldn't celebrate at all. <laughs> so even if he just spiked the ball or put his hands in the air, it was unnecessary. Uh, that's a bad loss. Pat, who is your worst loss? The Big Ten Blues. I'm going to go with Northwestern. First, you can't go with Michigan State because they were the only one that played on the road. Uh, But I'm going to say Northwestern because that's two years in a row they've been beaten handily by Duke. And Northwestern really wants people to take them seriously as like a big-time program. But when you can't beat Duke and you can't really come very close to beating Duke, you lost by two touchdowns this time and lost by 24 points last year. You're not going to be taking that seriously. I'm sorry. That's that. There's a demarcation line there that says don't lose handily to Duke if you want to be taken seriously as a big time program. And they ended up on the wrong side of it. Uh, you know, I mean, Northwestern is a good, solid program, but this, you know, they start off too. They win on the road at Purdue thanks to a terrible personal foul penalty and, and other Purdue gaffes. But you want to Apparently build on that. Not that hard. No, apparently not. You go in the next game, you bring Duke in. Guess what? You should probably beat Duke or at least come close. So Northwestern, bad loss. I'm going to dare to interrupt this podcast with some football analysis. Uh, There's a pretty fairly significant. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. (laughs) This actual news and analysis of the sport of football. I know it's not in the spirit of all this. Um, Duke's quarterback, Daniel Jones, who in NFL circles has been getting a lot of buzz. Um, Yep. I've had some scouts tell me he could be the first quarterback picked in the draft. Um, Anyway, he injured his clavicle. um, I believe it's his non-throwing shoulder. Joe Gaziano from Northwestern body slammed into the ground on a uh, sack. He is out indefinitely for the year, which is a huge blow to the Blue Devils. 
which is significant because the ACC is wide open right now. It is. Because so everyone stinks. Well, everyone that's not named Clemson. Everyone not Clemson. Obviously, Clemson's very good. But yes, other than that, it is wide open. I looked at Clemson's schedule uh, late Saturday night in the press box and deduced that their most difficult game remaining was at Boston College in November. Yeah, they'll sign up for that. Yeah, that's uh, that is not a rigorous, uh, rigorous road. All right. Well, look, I think the proper answer here is Nebraska, Uh, not because this is any long term defining of the thing. It's Scott Frost's first game, thanks to the Akron potential heist of last week where they refused to play (laughs) and may get their money. The ongoing saga. No updates this week. The money is not due until March by the way. so uh, may, I want to know whether it's the insurrection, the rebellion, or the uh, tropical storm. Well, yeah. Believe me, I am all over this story. Uh, it, look, it just stinks to lose your first game when you got your new coach. You're all excited. Here we go, Scott Frost. And it really hurts when you lose to your former rival. And and you, they're only scheduled to play one more time. They're going to play next year in Boulder. So this was like your chance. And Colorado comes in there and beats you. So that that's a miserable, that's a miserable stinging loss. Uh, these other ones are just kind of well. No one will even remember Northwestern lost to Duke. Purdue will just be humiliated. But <laughs> I will say, speaking of quarterback injuries, too, Nebraska's quarterback got hurt uh, in that game, and the guy that was going to be the backup when he lost the competition transferred out. So they could have no quarterbacks exactly two games, one game into the season. Yeah, they have one scholarship quarterback uh, who has injured his leg in the fourth quarter. Um, their walk on was like from some like one silo town. Um, yeah, not, not an ideal start. And look, Nick Saban may be criticized, maybe yelling at sideline reporters. He maneuvered the situation with Jalen Hurts. So Jalen Hurts didn't leave because he knew he needed Jalen Hurts. Scott Frost, say what you will, named his starter, Tristan Gabia, bounced to Oregon State before the year, leaving Scott Frost with one quarterback. That is a decision that could haunt Scott Frost's first season as the coach of Nebraska. Right, and it, it really helps to get a good start. Um, all right, since it did not get mentioned, let me say it. You play to win the game. You play to win the game. <laughs> Arizona State won the game over Michigan State. I don't think this was the worst loss for Michigan State. It was like 147 degrees. And uh, the the Michigan, it's never been above four uh, above forty degrees in East Lansing, Michigan, ever. It was like one time in July, nineteen eighty nine. It's always cold in East Lansing, right? Have you ever been there when it's warm? No, does not happen. No, the Cedar River is frozen like eleven months of the year. The year, <laughs> the Red Cedar. I don't know what that, whatever that little thing is. They they really love that river there. Uh, whatever. The banks of the Red Cedar. The Red Cedar, yes. not the Cedar. The Red Cedar. Uh, always frozen. Um, anyway, uh, the most mock coaching hire in college football last year was Arizona State grabbing Herm Edwards, who was a former NFL coach, a uh, longtime ESPN analyst. And now he's uh, running the Sun Devils. He sounded like he had no idea what he was doing when he took the job. Well, here we go. They uh, they won <laughs> the game. And look, no, no one who has ever been to Tempe, Arizona, uh, thinks that there isn't potential there. It is a fantastic place. Arizona looks horrible. Uh, so there's maybe a little movement here. Pete, are you now a believer in the Herm Edwards experience? 
So that hire was obviously mocked, and I think the people on this very podcast were doing a lot of the mocking. And I am not ready to take all my mocking back. I am not going to say two games in that Herm Edwards is the uh, is 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 the next coming of Pac-12 coaching greatness. The Pete like that ninety eight percent of people mocked the hire. The other two percent said he could be Pete Carroll. I'm not ready to uh, I'm not ready to go there yet. I just, you know, he's 64. Like, it, the whole thing with Herm is going to be staff. Like, are they going to be able to afford to keep good staff? Like, they have a really good defensive coordinator, Danny Gonzalez, who came over from San Diego State. Like, I don't know. Is he, is there belief internally? Is recruiting there in the middle of the pack right now? They have Manny Wilkins, who's a high-end Pac-12 quarterback. They have Nikhil Harry, who'll be one of the top three receivers picked in the draft. The, the cupboard was not completely bare from uh, from the Todd Graham era. So all that said, I am not ready to stand on the table for Herm. I am going to stay patient and continue to mock. Pat, were you wrong? Yes, I was wrong. I'm down with long-term Herm. I'm there, man. <laughs> I, I, I am changing my tune officially uh, for now <laughs> because that's what we do. But I know this – the Arizona State team that I saw the last couple of years under Todd Graham got pushed around on the field, and this team is not getting pushed around. I mean, Michigan State is no cupcake opponent usually when it comes to playing in the trenches, and Arizona State shut them down on the ground. Arizona State right now is the number one run defense in America. 61 rushes, 65 yards for their opponents. 1.07 yards per carry, 32.5 yards per game. Long-term Herm is toughening up the Sun Devils. I'm there with them. All right. Utah State pushed Michigan State around in week one. I'm not going to get too carried Michigan away. Michigan State ran the ball against uh, against Utah State. They did not run the ball against Arizona State. One Big Ten team that did not have problems this weekend was Penn State. They hammered and humiliated Pitt. 51-7, to beat-down rivalry game. Uh, Nittley Lions scored 21 in the fourth <laughs> Quarterback Trace McSorley remained in the game late, and James Franklin, the coach, even challenged a fumble by running back Miles Sanders with one minute left, <laughs> leading by 44. <laughs> now, I have a big problem with James Franklin in this, uh, because in his postgame comments, he claimed he, deciding when to take the pedal off the gas was a fine line, quote, and noted, we gave up a bunch of points in the fourth quarter last week, and he kind of pretended like this was all reasonable. Come on, man, just admit the truth. You hate these bastards. The fans hate these bastards. And you want to make sure every kid in Western PA knows Penn State is better than Pitt. Just own it. I cannot stand this. You want to strangle your arch rival. It's totally fine. Go with it. Pat, am I not right on on this? Oh, you're totally right. I agree with you. And, and then the funny thing is, too, is that, you know, James has really – like tiptoed around saying that Pitt's a big game and a rivalry game. He hadn't wanted to, wanted to say it. I think his actions said it very clearly. But if you're going to let your actions say it, then go ahead and let your mouth say it too. It's okay. You know, he's he's for the for the last several years, it's been you know refusing to either say Pitt's a rival or it's a big game or whatever. Uh, and there was a big humdrum last week leading up to the game where he said this is the biggest game in the universe because it's the next game and yeah. tried that. Well. You know, yeah, you're not challenging fumbles with a minute left if it's uh, if you're playing Kent State the following week. That's that was a very that was very pit motivated. Love the action, hate the explanation. Just go with it. All right, Pete, you were at Clemson, uh, Texas A and M. 
great environment, great road win for Clemson, really a very good performance with Texas A&M. I thought they would rise up. They have a ton of talent there. We know Clemson's good. We'll go with that. They're, you can almost put them into the playoff right now. But what does Texas A&M, how much can they build on this, particularly with Texas uh, teetering, if you will? Yeah, Dan, I think one of the big takeaways from that night was Kellen Mond, the uh, young quarterback for A&M, really looked sharp at, at times. He did make some mistakes, but for the most part, you could see, I mean, Jimbo Fisher's, you know, made his made his living on quarterbacks, be it to Marcus Russell, to Jameis Winston, to EJ Manuel. Um, he's shown a, an affinity for developing quarterbacks into first round picks in, in college, wherever he's gone. I'm forgetting one of the oh, Christian Ponder uh, at Florida State. So I, I really feel like Mond is, 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 is up next for Jimbo. Yet Kevin Sumlin did not leave the cupboard bare at all. I, I felt like there was a element of toughness there. Sumlin's teams were, were, were sort of noted faders, and uh, th- this team looked like it was in better shape. It competed hard for four quarters, did some of those things that maybe Sumlin's teams weren't reputed to do. So I, I think this is a sign that none of these SEC West teams are going to waltz into to College Station. Uh, the reputation in the West for A&M late in the Sumlin era was that you could you could sort of break their will much like Houston broke their will in nine minutes uh, of someone's Arizona team on Saturday morning. Um, so I really feel like there there was, you know, obviously A&M wanted to win, but there were a lot of positive vibes coming out of there. They have Mike Elko as their defensive coordinator, I think is one of the best at that position in the uh, country. And yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of good vibes from, uh, from college station. All right. Back to the bad vibes, uh, Pat, <laughs> East Carolina defeated North Carolina, 41, 19, and here's what I can tell you about that game. North Carolina is an actual state. East Carolina is not. Although, if we're going to have two Dakotas, maybe we should have three Carolinas. That seems fair. <laughs> anyway, it's not like ECU is good. They got beaten there. It's opener by North Carolina A&T. Uh, yeah. Uh, now they have beat they beat the Heels. Coach Larry Fedora is now 3-13 and in his last 16 games. Pat Forty, does Larry Fedora make it to October at this rate? You know, I think that his athletic director, Bubba Cunningham, is a pretty level-headed guy, not much of a quick-trigger kind of guy. So, yes, I think he makes October. Does he make November? That could be another issue. We'll see. Uh, he's definitely on the hottest seat in the country. You mentioned the, uh, I mean, that, that program's fallen off a cliff. They were 11 and 3 in 2015, 8 and 5 and 16 with a loaded team, 3 and 9 last year. Injuries were the excuses. Now they're 0 and 2 to start this year. They've got a bunch of players suspended because they were selling all their Jordan brand gear. Uh, you know, that while well, you can you can make what you will of that NCAA rule, that's still a rule, and that, that falls on the coach to have those guys breaking the rules. So he's got to deal with that. They'll, I think they'll probably let him see what his team looks like when those guys come off suspension. But I look at the schedule, and I don't see a lot of wins there. I think he's headed absolutely for a losing season. Maybe, you know, as bad as last year, and I think he will be gone certainly by Thanksgiving, if not sooner. All right. Viewer. Or listener, what do we got? Listeners, I guess. Listener mailbag. New feature I introduced five minutes before How about the, that. Yeah, five minutes before the podcast because I was out of topics. <laughs> and I needed someone else to do the work. So uh, we went with the listener Twitter. You can hit me up at Dan Wetzel or anybody else on Twitter. 
if you want uh, to participate, I may read it. Anyway, this one is from Chris Capella. We're only doing one one a week, maybe, because the questions were pretty bad, by the way. Um, Chris Capella works for the New York Mets, but here is his question. It was uh, succinct. Best FCS team. Pete, who is the best FCS team? Well, I think you have to go with uh, North Dakota State. Although, Dan, you will be amused that North Carolina does play Western Carolina on Another November seventeenth. Yes, so, yes. So just to just to throw throw a little something else to, to work both the Dakotas back to the Carolina. I'll take North Dakota State, not to be confused with North Dakota, and they are much better than Western Carolina. Okay. I love uh, East Carolina barbecue. That's my favorite barbecue because it's got the vinegar and it's just... You like the vinegar? Yeah, because it's bitter. Yeah. Yeah, it goes with your personality. <laughs> okay. I understand now. Pat, who's the best 1AA team out there? Well, it should be Samford, but they couldn't stop throwing the ball to the other <laughs> team, so they got lost. It. So I'm not going with Samford. <laughs> Down on the Bulldogs. Had their chance. Blew it. I am going with uh, North Carolina A&T. We previously mentioned because when they beat East Carolina, the coach in the locker room, if you saw the video, is great. Yeah, there's a team together and says, all right, now give me my money because they were getting the big payday for coming to play the game. I loved it. North Carolina A&T is 3-0, and they are my number one FCS 1AA team. Wow. We are doing some serious Carolina talk here. Uh, let me give you the proper answer for the best FCS team. I don't care. <laughs> all right Such small yeah uh, small sample size heisman winner who should have won the heisman now who's winning the heisman uh based off small sample sizes pete why don't you start with you i am on the mckenzie milton bandwagon uh the ucf quarterback they uh blew out south carolina state this weekend he did not have gaudy gaudy crazy numbers but uh he will continue to have gaudy, gaudy, crazy numbers the rest of the season because of the way UCF plays. They've won 15 straight. The bandwagon is rolling. All right. Pat, who is your small sample size Heisman winner? Well, I'm going to educate you and the listeners here. But somebody they certainly weren't thinking about coming into the season and maybe still aren't thinking about. LaVisca Chenault, wide receiver, Colorado. Leads the nation by far in reception so far. 21 of them in two games. Leads the nation by far in yards per game at 194. He's a big guy, 6'2", 220s, like uh, Anquan Bolden out there. Uh, real physical receiver, but he runs great routes. He's got great hands. He caught the winning touchdown against Nebraska. Uh, he's a running threat as well. He scored on the ground there. Uh, Gary Barnett, who used to coach Colorado, uh, said last week before they played Nebraska, he is the best player Colorado's had in 20 years, and so far he's showing it. All right. As, uh, he had a huge game against Nebraska, obviously. All right. Uh, my choice is Tua because he threw for 228 yards, four TDs, which actually means nothing. The real issue is his former competition at Alabama, Jalen Hurts, uh, news broke that he will redshirt this year unless – Tua gets hurt. So you can play four games now and then redshirt. That means Jalen can graduate in December, have two full years remaining of eligibility, and he can transfer. Uh, he is probably on a campus visit with Lane Kiffin at FAU right now. Uh, I don't know whether Tua won the Heisman this week, but I think he's sleeping pretty well that he has run his competition effectively out of town uh, in two weeks into this season. So that's pretty good. Uh, all right, final segment. 
we say something nice or not, quick hit. Got anything nice to say? Let's start with you, Pat Ford. You've been particularly angry today. <laughs> All right. Now, I mean, I'm going to say something nice about a program that I have probably said more mean things about than any <laughs> because they have deserved it so abundantly. But what about Kansas? Kansas football is the biggest joke in America, <laughs> but they've won their first road game since 2009 on Saturday. They went to mighty Central Michigan, went into – is that Mount Pleasant, Dan? Mount Pleasant. So you don't just have, walk into Mount Pleasant. Place is flat as a not. pancake. They named it Mount yep. Pleasant. It is flat as a pancake. <laughs> well – they, they, they steamrolled their way through flat old Mount Pleasant. They won that game easily. It was their first road win in nine, in nine years, their first win over an FBS opponent since they beat uh, – since they basically got Charlie Strong fired in 2016 and their first win of any kind in over a year. So congratulations, Kansas. You won a game. Good job. Pete Thamel, anything nice to say? I will say something nice about the environment Saturday night at Texas A&M, Dan. There are 104,000 people there. Clemson did have a very nice traveling contingent as part of that. It was driving rain for about half the game. Everyone in the stadium stood up. They were whipping white towels around, and they were down 21-3. to Those fans didn't move. The noise didn't go down. It was one of the great environments in all my years covering college football I've seen. So hats off to the Aggies. Now you're just going to win next time. That was a good one. All right, my something nice is the Boise State offense gained 818 yards against UConn on Saturday. (laughs) Woo! Good Lord. Uh, A balanced attack, 418 through the air, 400 on the the ground. That's amazing. Uh, Now, I know UConn is not Clemson, but it is an actual D1 program of, like, moderate regard. It's been around a little bit. Uh, this was not an FCS school. Uh, I watched some of this. Uh, Brett Ripian is ridiculous. 21 to 28, three TDs. Uh, Boise had like 25 dudes catch a pass. Like everybody caught a pass. <laughs> um, I don't know whether Boise's playoff good or not, but they are fun to watch again late on Saturday nights with the blue turf when you're good and buzzed. Uh, and I think it's a meaningful to have that back in your life that they can make it dizzier than you need to be at about 1.15 Eastern time. So good on you, Boise State. Uh, All right, that concludes today's podcast, the Overreaction Monday. Please subscribe. uh, Say nice things about us on uh, social media. Tell your friends. Play this at the tailgate. Whatever you got. We need some subscribers and uh, more listeners. So uh, hit us up, and uh, we'll be back Tuesday with our main edition of the Yahoo Sports College Podcast. Talk to you guys then.